welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Jillian Parker. Hey, everyone. Hey, Quinn. Hi, Jillian. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thesis is due next week, so we are down to the wire. But you are almost done, so... I am almost done, yes. And I, well, we can't put this on the podcast, but I edited it so that it's exactly 69 pages with some creative spacing. I think we can put that on the podcast. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate that that was a specific thought that you had. (laughs) Yeah, I could probably, it could probably actually be like a lot shorter, but I was like, hmm, I'm gonna, you know, double space this and like play with the margins. And then I was like one page short. And so I was like, hmm, I'm just gonna make a dedication page. Oh my god. Wait, who's it dedicated to? Uh, well, my thesis advisors. And I was gonna shout out my thesis advisor's, advisor's dog because like I've cuddled with her before in times of stress because she sometimes brings her to the office. But I don't know how my parents would feel about me mentioning my thesis advisor's dog and not them. So I didn't. Oh, I should probably thank my family. I was going to say, why don't you like just put your parents on it then? Like, how long can dedications be? Like, can I give you a shout out? Well, usually there's like a dedication to a particular person or a couple people. And then well, this is like, the acknowledgments. Oh, the acknowledgments? As many people as you want. <laughs> Please put me in your thesis is what I'm saying. Okay, okay. <laughs> if you want to dedicate... Rose in the entire Relay FM network. Yeah, if you want to dedicate the entire thing to me, actually, I would also not be opposed to that. <laughs> amazing we're surviving we did um so my in one of my classes we got this very vague assignment prompt and then we all did it and then the professor was like this isn't what i wanted everyone did a bad job and we were like what and we all did fine like it was fine but she was like i'm giving the exact assignment again go out and do it again and we were like okay like maybe be a little bit more specific with your prompts then but you didn't give any feedback there's feedback on the papers. Oh, okay. But it was very weird. It was, it, I cannot stress how vague the prompt was. And we were all like, okay. It was like, write a design review of a show because it's a theater class. And we're like, cool. Um, and then we all did our best. And then we were all wrong, apparently. So Yeah. I took a theology class once that asked, like, the title of the class was just like this very broad general statement. And then our first essay was blah, blah, blah. blah. And it was literally just like the title of the class, which was just like this theoretical question and everyone was like wow this is a pretty you know deep topic for the first paper of the class i am having a better week than the nra which is going through an interesting time well i guess the point that we're going to get into is is this really bad for the nra or not but there have been a series of boycotts um the nra is a national rifle association they are well depending on who you ask there are different things but roughly speaking they're a coalition interest group thing of gun owners so people become like members of the nra and then the nra as a as a overarching body has a huge funding pool and they often use it to fund congressional candidates and various other politicians and from my perception of this they come under particular fire because i mean they are like the largest pro-gun lobbying group although they wouldn't call themselves a lobbying group but they essentially let's, are let's be real <laughs> let's be real here lobbying group in the country and they also like specifically give out report cards to politicians on how well they're doing on like the nra's points which tons of groups do but i think that it's particularly it's just particularly touchy for people when 
you know, the NRA is like A plus for this person because there's because they have voted against measures that would increase gun regulation. So every time something like this happens, people point out like all of the senators that have A ratings for the NRA and stuff like that. And people who have F ratings for the NRA are like very proud of it. And it's this whole very contentious thing. But what's happening right now is because of the Parkland shooting and all the attention that has gotten and the the teenage activists that have come out of it, you can't really boycott the NRA because, like, if you're not a member of the NRA, you're effectively boycotting it already, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the NRA has advertisers that they work with or, like, companies that offer NRA members discounts. So people have gone after those companies and said, we will boycott your company until you sever ties with the NRA and until you are not, like, providing them with additional funding and, and discounts in this way. And this has been pretty effective so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about... Um the the response of the consumer so this is this is kind of cool i'm i'm a fan it's very much reminiscent of the sleeping giants thing which is i believe is still ongoing it's perpetually ongoing but it was very effective in getting advertisers to pull out from advertising on breitbart and specifically like blacklisting breitbart as um a site to advertise them on to try to throttle the money generally speaking in american history or world history stopping the money flow is is very effective at getting things to stop. <laughs> yeah, just in general. I feel like that's very good life advice. <laughs> no money, no function. No money, no problems. JK, just lots and lots of problems. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so I guess this is just like kind of an anecdote, but um, someone, so this is this has been going on, or like obviously it's very contentious right now with the Parkland shooting, um, regarding gun control laws and rifles and things like that and so like in one of my in my danish class my, one of my really good friends in the class he is very political um he like wants to like he essentially wants to run for president one day um and so i was talking to him and he was like jillian and i was like yes <laughs> he was as like, you do in a conversation as you do in a conversation you reply when someone is talking to you um he was like well so like i'm curious like what do you think about everything regarding gun control and i was like well i don't think we should get rid of guns completely but i do think we need um more background checks and more safety measures so that the people who should not have guns do not get guns as easily and he was like well you know what wait i agree with you and i was like yeah and he was like but but you're libertarian. And I was like, that doesn't mean I'm insane. And he was like, does it though? And I was like, okay, I came out to have a pretty neutral opinion and I feel personally attacked. (laughs) I want to meet this friend. Oh my God. No, you guys, we get along so well. (laughs) Every, every time I do something, he's just like, and once you put a capitalist in, everything goes to beep. Um, And I'm just like, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. But yeah, but you do have the majority opinion that mm-hmm. like Americans have, which is that we should have greater gun regulation and have more measures. And people disagree on exactly what the, me- those measures should be, which it's pretty exciting to see even conversations more about like what measures should we implement rather than should we implement anything at all. That's like a cool conversation just in terms of stepping forward. We're still so far away from things actually happening um, and having a real effect but the conversation is much more active than it used to be which is awesome but in this case in particular i think that 
people view the NRA as like the antithesis of this and of just having no additional regulations and nothing like that. Um, wait, I'm sorry. I literally have just now learned that there's something called NRA TV, which I think I have heard of before. It always just kind of passed over my mind without me really thinking about it. But why does the NRA have an online video channel? What is it of? Is it just like people like modeling guns? Like, According to this, it is a vital forum for the dissemination of some of the most strident pro-gun messaging in politics today. That's... That's frightening. I can't say I'm in love with that. <laughs> well, there's so there's a, literally just a channel out there that's just talking about how great guns are. What? I'm not surprised. <sighs> this is America. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, but there's also been, in addition to um, boycotting and coming after companies that are working with the NRA in terms of discounts, they're also going after like Apple and Roku and Google and all of the places that are hosting this channel on their streaming services, and they're saying you should drop them. And all this stuff, it seems to me like this stuff does not have a super aggressive effect on the NRA on immediately because it's not like the NRA is relying on these kind of corporate partnerships for their real funding or their real power. But what it is doing is like really significantly harming their public image, I think, and, it, and it's pushing people more and more away from them and mm -hmm. what this can potentially do is affect their donations and affect people who, like because they do really rely on large donations and i think that's pushing people away from that and it's also just the more public opinion is pushed away from the nra the less likely politicians are going to choose to align themselves with the nra accept their donations vote for their policies that they're that they are pushing for any of that, um, which will have long-term effects on their power. Mm -hmm. And it's also interesting to see, like, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, like, any step is at least a step. Like, I think it's going to be very hard for, you know, people to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to boycott Apple for hosting this channel because, like, a, a lot of people have iPhones, and so that would be very hard to do. Um, but it is definitely a step in an interesting direction. Um, and I appreciate the efforts. But also, interestingly, um, I'm just going through this article that we'll link. And just, I read this, and I'm just so much reminded of, like, conversations about this at home. Because my parents are, like, pro-gun, but they're also, like, very, like, pro-gun regulation, I guess. They were, like, and my parents are very conservative. So my parents being, having opinions about regulations in general is just, like, pretty substantial um in itself but basically they were like yeah like i don't think i don't think we should be like australia and we should completely outlaw guns but i don't think you should be able to go into a store and buy a semi-automatic which is the weapon that was used in the parkland shooting so it really is such a bipartisan issue but the reason that gun control laws are not being passed is because it is still very much ingrained in this political sphere of like the nra and sponsorship and politicians using nra funding and then having to like kind of uphold the nra agenda but on the other hand, there's a way that this is all just furthering divisions because while most people do support greater gun regulation, there are millions of people who also support the NRA and perhaps support them both at the same time. But um, regardless of where NRA members are in that, like I think that there is a case that the uh, these attacks on the NRA uh, will cause people who believe in the organization 
um, to become even even further pushed to that side and to perhaps increase donations and to increase support. Based on what I've seen and the numbers that I've seen, it doesn't seem like there are as many numbers, but you also, I mean, in terms of money and donations, all you really need is like some really wealthy people and corporations to remain on the side of the NRA and to increase their funding to balance it out. So it's hard to tell at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's boycotting the NRA will maybe like prevent some people from like donating more money or being really involved but it's like again it's like one of those things where it's like you're preaching to the choir like the people who are really going to take into account and consider leaving the nra or resigning from the nra or stop you know indirectly funding the nra are those on the borderline like the people who are with the nra are just pretty much going to be in the nra for life so it won't have as much of an effect on them there are always exceptions to this Mm -hmm. and we have seen some particular high profile examples of people who have publicly renounced their membership and have spoken out against it in the wake of the changing tide, if we can call it that. Mm -hmm. But I think that generally those are going to be the exceptions. And as always with these kinds of things, people in in political arenas, people are fighting for who's in the middle ground. Like the people on both sides are almost never going to be convinced to switch sides. Um, Or if they are, it's going to be on like a long, lifelong personal journey. But there are so many people in the middle and it's really like the fight over those people's opinions and those people's actions. I also just want to give a general shout out to a few things about the Parkland teenagers who have been leading this charge. One, we haven't seen a particular backlash against them from like their supporters yet. I mean, obviously there's been this huge huge backlash against them from people who disagree with their movement which we discussed last week is the way it's been implemented is concerning on many 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 levels but there is such an outraged culture and a sort of putting people on a pedestal and holding them to impossible standards culture in this country I think especially on the left and I'm concerned about like these are literally teenagers and I'm I'm concerned that one day when one of them inevitably makes a misstep or like or just says something that people don't like that there will be this backlash against them and I just hope that we can all remember and hold it within ourselves that these are teenagers and that while they have done amazing work already that like they should not be in charge of this movement and they should not be shouldering all the work and they absolutely should not be placed on impossible pedestals and so while yes like i praise them and I support them but I also like but I think that we also as it's always so funny I'm like three years older than them it's fine but whatever um but also people who are older just in general it's not the okay it's their turn now it's they are reminding us like what work we have to do and we have to continue doing it together yes. which I think is what's happening but there is so much somewhat of a rhetoric of like oh our saviors are here and it's like well no it's just people who suffer through a horrible tragedy who are just giving everybody else a kick in the butt, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely shouldn't be idolizing them. We shouldn't be idolizing them in the, in terms of like, oh, like they've been through so much. And it's like, no, we just need to, like, it's good that we're reminded of, you know, how much suffering they've been through. And hopefully we can use that in order to enact some sort of change. So something like Parkland doesn't happen again. But again, Quinn is right, like, 
using them as some sort of like emblem or like symbol and like i don't know it's just very mm. this isn't the hunger games and also a large part of the hunger games was how katniss didn't want to be used as a symbol of the revolution because she was the person <laughs> yes yes um but also this is an interesting article about the boycott um this is an opinion article from the new york post saying that boycotting the nra is like it's it's good in the fact that some of it's actually being effective um but basically the argument is that it's going to backfire because the problem isn't necessarily um i guess the problem is much larger than just like oh the nra is bad because it's funding politicians that aren't passing laws about gun control um the the problem is that it's more about the culture that the NRA represents and like Quinn mentioned before like this polarization like if we make the NRA out to be bad guys um which you know like <laughs> in some senses they definitely are but if we make out gun owners and people who do want to have the the right to have guns and we like polarize them into into um into this culture where like oh NRA is bad like everyone who's uh, supports the NRA is bad and then that just demonizes people and that demonizes gun owners and even if they even if the gun owners like say like they want tighter regulations the fact that you know if the main public image is that we're like demonizing them for wanting to, um for people for wanting to have the right to bear arms then that again creates another another schism in our culture and makes the problem even worse and unfortunately we don't have control over that right because people who disagree with the NRA boycott are of course going to say they are demonizing gun owners. Mm -hmm. And so it's this really unfortunate thing is like we have this responsibility in ourselves and how we convey a message, but also like no matter how you convey that message, it's going to get twisted. And this happens back and forth on all sides all the time. But um, that's an interesting point. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And like something to think about, but it's also, but also like if you do anything at all, like certain certain people and certain publications are going to make it sound like you are directly attacking people that maybe you're not trying to directly attack. And so it's this, it's a nasty game. Mm -hmm. One thing I just like to end on is in addition to all this NRA boycott stuff, what, what's also I've seen a surge of is so the midterm elections are coming up, um, November, 2018, that's this year. So obviously there are a lot of people that are up against candidates that are currently like in support with the NRA and um, all of this stuff and have accepted donations from the NRA. And so there's been a really big push of um, people are stepping forward and saying, I do not accept money from the NRA. I will vote for gun regulation and I'm running against this person who does not stand for that. And so they've been getting a lot of support. So, I mean, obviously do your research into your own candidates and stuff, but that is also another avenue towards, uh, towards pushing for uh, greater gun regulation. <laughs> Elsewhere in the world, they're curing cancer, so that's where we're at. So that's on a more positive note than just talking about guns all the time. Right now in China, they are basically leading the charge in terms of new treatment for cancer by using CRISPR, which is this... Oh, it's a gene editing tool, essentially, um, in order to get rid of the cancer when radiation and chemotherapy aren't working. So it's this really new experimental kind of thing, and... It's not like a controlled study. Um, it's more like they, people who have no other options left are going for this and doing the treatment. And there are some promising results. There was, there was one line in this article that I was reading that was like, 
eight people who have taken the treatment so far have died, but that was from their cancer, not from the treatment. And it's like, okay, but that first of all means the treatment wasn't working. And also like, how do we know? Because this isn't a scientifically rigorous study by like the United States Standards Boards of Ethics. So how do we really know? But anyway, besides that point, which is, I mean, treatments are not going to be effective for everyone, especially this kind of experimental treatment. But while there are no firm conclusions yet about the effectiveness, um, about 40% of the people who have been in the treatment so far, which is 21 patients, um, seem to be doing better. Like they have responded well to the treatment. They said that one patient is still alive almost a year later, which is just an astounding life expectancy to what they were expected to live before. And so it's weird that this is a weird thing to talk about because it's going to take so, so much more testing until they can be sure that this is really working. But if 40% are uh, reporting an in, in improvement when they were basically told that they were going to die from an incurable cancer, then that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this isn't randomized. Like we don't know, we don't really have sort of a base that we can p- compare this to when it comes um, when it comes to like at examining the results of the study, because first of all, it's been done done. It's been done on very few people, and second of all, like these people, these patients don't have a choice. Like they're either going to die anyway, or they can maybe take this treatment that will potentially do something. Um, but I'm just reading this article, and <laughs> they're talking about how you know this is one of the ways that China can compete with medicine in the West, um, even though we're China is definitely starting from a different origin point in terms of like ethics and the fact that things aren't as regulated um, over there as opposed to here in the United States, especially when it comes to medicine. Um, but there was a quote that was like, we have we have a saying where um, a living dog is better than a dead lion. And I'm just like, wouldn't I just I just like dogs in general. Like why? why? Living I dog is better than almost anything. Yeah, I don't I, I'm trying. Where is this going? <laughs> no, that makes sense, though. Yeah. But that is funny. Yeah. But yeah, we have a lot of reg- like we have a lot of regulations as to what you can do in studies, psychological, medical, whatever in the United States. And for good reason, because I mean, the United States, like we saw what happened in Nazi Germany and we we ourselves did things like this Tuskegee syphilis study um, in which like they were testing um, effects of syphilis in an African-American male population. And even after a reliable treatment and cure for syphilis came around, they denied them that treatment in order to continue studying it. And so like truly horrible things have happened in the United States or the United States has been affected by truly horrible things in the name of experimental medicine. So we have all these regulations now, but China does not have that history and so is able to do a lot more in the experimental field than we can. Mm -hmm. And not to bring up the libertarian standpoint, but of course I'm going to bring up the libertarian standpoint. Um, We were talking about in one of in my libertarian economics class about like the FDA and about the board of ethics um and things like that and my basically the gist was my professor was like yes like I get that these are supposed to help people but like also um it does make it it does make it sh- it does make it so that say if there is a possible treatment but if it hasn't been conducted or if it hasn't gone through the necessary steps in order for it to become like a legitimate drug then it's not going to be able to be used as quickly which could you know end up harming more people than it ends up helping um which is a good point so that's why the libertarian party isn't a huge fan of the FDA but um i mean i guess it does 
I don't like the FDA, but I guess I can see why it's helpful. But it's just interesting because like with fewer regulations, this is what potentially could happen. I'm not saying we should get rid of the FDA. I'm not saying we shouldn't get rid of the Anyways, <laughs> I'm straying from the point. The point is that um, China does have less regulations, so they can do these things, as Quinn was saying. But also, like, the United States has a lot of regulations, not just in fields that are in medicine. Like, there are boards, there um, are ethics boards, obviously, for medicine, but also, like, in psych, in psych studies. Um, even even if you want to do any sort of academic survey, you have to, like, go through an ethics board. Like, my friend, like Amy, for example, she, um, my friend Amy is writing an economics thesis, and basically she had to publish a survey, but she got into, she had to go through, like, all this paperwork, um, basically, to get funding approved or to get something approved that she could issue her survey out to one of these um to basically just like an online website and so people could take her survey and she could get results for her study um and like the study was you know like pretty general like but she had to go through all this paperwork saying that like no the study isn't going to change anything about the person's life like it's just a bunch of questions like blah 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 blah. um and so she was not really happy with (laughs) the idea of an ethics board when she was going through this but (laughs) It is. It's so weird. These kinds of regulations are so annoying and they're so restrictive and sometimes can really prevent people from reaching these experimental medical techniques that might be able to save their life. But on the other hand, these experimental medical techniques can be like actively harmful or I mean, with these kinds of like, I'm sure that Amy's survey was fine, but I mean, but you never know, like, if there is going to be something that has harmful content that is coercive, is psychologically damaging. And I feel like in a perfect world, we could all be like, okay, promise to be good. <laughs> yeah, she was she was stressing out because uh, I guess the last question is, like, if you have any feedback or, like, how did you feel after taking the survey, you feel free to leave a comment here. Um, and someone was just like, I feel sad now with a sad face. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get, like... <laughs> punished by the ethics board for making someone sad (laughs) oh my gosh yeah i did a summer where i was a research assistant um for a psychology professor and researcher and i spent my entire summer building this survey basically i did like hours and hours and hours of research on all the entire history of the field of the question that we wanted the answer to and then i had to design the survey and then i was filling out this entire like ethics board questionnaire and everything and my summer ended before we even did the survey before we even did like before we even ran the experiment because the entire time was just like my project was just to set up this huge thing which was really like the first step in a larger project things take so much time just research takes so much time Mm -hmm. just like anything that involves some sort of strenuous process takes forever Mm mm-hmm and again, these protections exist for a reason. And that while there are significant disadvantages in that, it's also like we have proven that we cannot be trusted. Because I mean, from things like the Tuskegee syphilis study to the Stanford prison experiment, like we do messed up things and non-regulated things that go very badly. And so it's you just have to choose where the balance is. And I think that the balance of these kinds of things shifts as time goes on and as experiences happen. And I think that the United States has fallen pretty far on the regulatory side, which is why it's cool that other models exist in the world and that China is able to do this kind of thing. Because if this CRISPR study 
is shown to be very helpful, then that that research benefits everyone. And I mean, there is a CRISPR study that is for cancer treatment that's going to be starting in the United States, but I mean, it's very early stages. Uh, as of now, it's not running yet. But hopefully this kind of thing will be able to benefit everyone and the medical and research community at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like one of the, another study that was similar to like the Stanford prison study, I guess, was the, um, I think it was at Yale. Did you hear about the psych study where they like told people, where they told people that they were part of this experiment um, and they had to like shock someone with like a heart oh, condition? Yep. Um, and it's like, wow, like that was, that study could not have been possible, would not be possible today. But, but it, they weren't actually shocking anyone. Right. I know, but it's still like, I'd be shocked. <laughs> Get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be shocked if like some ethics board approved that experiment today. Yeah, this was the Milgram experiment. We're just going to hit on all of the most famous social science experiments of all time, I guess, because we are nerds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, and this was the one that you might have heard of this as well as like there was a test runner and the person who was being studied and then there was someone that they were shocking so they believe they were giving painful electric shocks to someone and there there have been many variations of this and it's basically testing how long will they obey an authority figure telling them to shock the person and generally what we found out is people will obey authority figures forever um and in variations on like how much responsibility was placed on the person shocking versus the authority figure and like how it was set up and what but like people really would go so far some people like in many cases would even go so far that they thought that it was a fatal level of electric shock and and this happened in the 60s and it was basically showing it was basically intending um to question like why people followed the nazis orders and one of the reasons um, that has become, like, a very famous social science reason since then is that, like, people follow authority. Mm-hmm. And people follow what people are telling them to do, which is just terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the results from these social science experiments is that people suck and we are sheep. That's pretty much the gist. Yeah, it's like people felt really bad about it, but they would continue shocking the person. And it's like, ah! I mean, there have also been studies shown that, like, if you if everyone else in the room is saying that uh, something is a certain length, you will also say that thing is a certain length, even if you can say it's a different... If you, even if you can see clearly in front of your eyes that it's a different length. And also that if smoke is pouring into the room, but no one else reacts, most people don't react either, even though they, like... Even if they're, like, actively coughing from the smoke pouring in the room. People are terrifying. <laughs> Oh my god. (laughs) Study social science, everyone. It's a real fun time. Speaking of harmful coughing and smoke pouring into rooms, that was a terrible transition, and I admit to that openly. Um, But I saw this quiz on the New York Times that essentially was like, hmm, how many poisons are in your body? And I took it, and I have six. (laughs) So, fun facts. Well, it's how many poisons have you been exposed to? Yeah, so basically, we'll link this, but um, it's... Based on the premise that, yes, our bodies are full of poisons from products that we use on an everyday basis. And so let's, like, take this quiz and, like, let's do a quick check for poisons that might be in your body. And then you have to, like, choose all the products that you've been exposed to in the past month. And it's stuff like makeup and, like, shower curtains, um, hard plastic water bottles. And so it's, like, very seemingly innocuous things. um, But that can actually maybe potentially have deadly consequences in the long term. I mean, to be fair, we kind of did know that makeup was trash. Yeah, we knew makeup was trash. Um, we knew canned, like, 
there's so much stuff that's in canned food. Like, okay, I can expect that. I guess the one thing that I was surprised was uh, foam-filled furniture. Didn't know that was a thing. A lot of the risks with these chemicals and everyday products is that they mess with your thyroid um, and they mimic natural hormones, which is obviously not great. So, yeah, hormones are bad. Well, fake hormones are bad, apparently. All hormones are bad as someone who was recently a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, retweet. Yeah, no, but um, I do, what I find most interesting about this is when I did this and I said, you have been exposed to at least five hazardous chemicals. My reaction was basically, whatever. (laughs) Which is not the right reaction. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I'm saying that my natural reaction as someone who exists in 21st century America was just to be like, Okay, I guess I didn't expect anything less than this. I kind of assumed that things were at least a little bit poisonous a lot at the time. The guy who wrote this article was pretty rattled because he had just gotten his urine tested, um, and they still found chemicals, even though he had been taking very um, proactive measures in the past few years to avoid a lot of these chemicals. Like, he would t- um, he would use BPA-free water bottles, um, he would avoid some certain, like, tooth toothpaste things like that and but like he still got his urine tested and it's like nope you still have poisons inside your body and he was a little rattled but i'm like we live on earth there are going to be poisons in our bodies this is one of those kinds of things that it's like we can do our best as consumers to avoid these products but also it would be easier if we could just like not make products with chemicals in them Mm -hmm. (laughs) which in some cases like i know in particular um like a lot of makeup, for example, I'm going to pick on makeup a lot, I think, is that they have these chemicals in them because that's what makes makeup more effective or cheaper or better in certain ways. Um, and that it's like still an acceptable level that by rated by the FDA or whatever, whatever's in it. And you can buy makeup that does not have these chemicals in it, at least certain kinds of chemicals in it but that they are either less effective um and like there's a certain thing in makeup remover not no there's a certain thing in nail polish remover that is like kind of harmful to your skin and your nails but it also is just like makes removing nail polish so much easier or if you want to buy without particular chemicals they're just going to be a lot more expensive and so for me personally i hope one day to live a very conscious consumer life in that I am very conscious about what I buy and not buying anything that's been tested on animals and not buying things that have harmful chemicals and like all natural locally sourced like all of that stuff like that stuff that I think about but it's not something that's really economically feasible for me right now like right now I'm pretty much gonna buy what's cheapest mm-hmm. yeah As the great philosopher Drake once said, copied from country singer George Strait, um, I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but definitely, like, I I was going to say, yeah, I want to sort of aspire to put good things in my body and just, you know, be really proactive and self-conscious of like the chemicals that I'm ingesting and things like that but then like I just went to Starbucks and just basically had food poisoning so that's where I'm at currently well that was because Starbucks ruined you so yeah has anyone so TLDR I went to Starbucks I'm lactose intolerant I got coffee with almond milk they did not put almond milk on it in it even though they said they did but (laughs) 
there are ways to figure out if you have consumed regular milk when you're and not almond milk when you're lactose intolerant. So here we are. I'm so sorry. I also have an interesting dilemma with these kinds of questions, though, because on one hand, it would be awesome if we had all these products with no harmful chemicals in them. But also, would that significantly raise the price of products? Because that would then make like my point about it being economically infeasible for me to currently buy like all of these super consumer conscious products and all of in all of those ways is like that's a situation that applies to a lot a lot a lot of people and if we had all products be like that then there just wouldn't be options to buy that were cheap (laughs) and so it's this weird question of like these products that could be harmful for you but the alternative is not having them at all I don't really think that's a better situation, which Mm -hmm. is kind of concerning, but I guess that it's better to be able to have access to things, even if they might have these long-term health effects, rather than they only being accessible to people of higher economic status. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so... There's something very... subtly dystopian about that (laughs) yeah it's definitely like yes a lot of these products especially the cheaper products do contain these harmful chemicals but like we have the choice of whether or not to consume them given that we read the instructions on the bottle and we know like oh if this could happen if i take this but i'm going to take it anyway because the alternative is like 50 dollars more um and yes while though well i believe that a lot of these products aren't good for you. I don't necessarily think that they should be removed from our um, our choices in terms of options. And there's a there's an episode of Parks and Rec where basically like the libertarian character Ron Swanson, aka Love of My Life, um, he says he says the beauty of this country is that if I want to like eat all of this like meat and whatever and like die of a heart attack when I'm 30 I can (laughs) and along similar lines like you technically can do that here if you want to so yeah also I'm a vegetarian so that doesn't really apply to me but it's along the same gist I am just in general in favor of greater education for these things because there's a strong difference between being aware of it and choosing to buy those products because that is a trade-off choice that you are making versus just not being aware of the issue at all and it's a whole mess and this whole country needs better education on practical topics like that so quinn and i have just you know always peruse the internet for fun pop culture segments to talk about um but you know there's only so much we can say about kim kardashian and taylor swift um and so i do believe that we've mentioned the royal wedding before between um with the upcoming wedding between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, but we decided, or at least I decided, at least I wrote in our Google Doc that uh, we should just stalk the royal wedding and cover an element each week. And so this week, that is exactly what we're doing. Um, there's this article where it's saying how um, Prince Harry, some of Prince Harry's exes might be at the wedding. And so then I asked Quinn, hey, like, would you invite ex-boyfriends to a wedding? And this, yep, this is, yep, here we are. Here we are. The answer is no. <laughs> TLDR. Well, so, I mean, in the case that they're describing, it's like, oh, he dated these women and now they are, they're still friends and so will they be invited to the wedding, you know? But in my case, 
Like, I don't have any exes that I'm on good terms with. So, I mean, I have exes that I'm, like, on okay terms with, but I'm, we're not really friends anymore. Or I have people I actively don't like. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, no, none of those people are going to be invited to my hypothetical future wedding. Yeah, I also just think it's, like, I've read a bunch of psychology articles that's, like, oh, if you're friends with your ex, you're, like, actually, like, a sociopath and things like that. And I'm, like, that's not, I don't think that's true. I know, but I think there is a difference between being on good terms with your ex and then, like, being, like, best friends with your ex if you were not already friends to begin with. Like, if you were not already in the same friend circle. Yeah, I can see it. For sure, like, if you are friends with someone, especially if you are in a group of friends with someone, date them, and then you break up and uh, either immediately or after a period, like, become friends with them again and continue hanging out, especially if you're, like, in high school or college and you're seeing them all the time, that totally makes sense. I do think it's kind of weird, like, if you don't know someone before and you mostly just know them from a dating context, like, when people say we can still be friends, I'm like, I, mm, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not something I really want. Like, because it, this is going to sound mean. Oh, I love, I love mean. But I've come to the realization that there are so many people in this world and there are so many friends that you can make that you don't really need to be friends with your exes. You can't, if maybe, especially if you're friends with them before and you just really like this person, you really just want to be friends with them. Cool. If everyone's on the same page about that. But if you're just like, oh, let's be friends because that's like the mature thing to do. I have other friends. I don't need to be friends with someone if it's going to be significantly more difficult for me to maintain a friendship with them. Like, I'm good. Yeah, see, I just avoid this problem altogether by not dating people that I actually like as humans. Usually. Most of the time. Quinn is giving me such a side eye right now. I support you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and like the whole pretense of that was just pretty much like, yeah, well, if we break up, then I, here's the thing. Like, my problem with relationships is not the idea of emotional vulnerability. Actually, it kind of is the idea of emotional vulnerability. But in addition to that, um, there's also, like, relationships either end in marriage, which is just, like, whoa, commitment, um, or they or you end up losing your best friend. Because, like, I think even if you're not friends with, your significant other to begin with like through the process of dating and like hanging out with each other all the time you do sort of see this person as your best friend and then once you guys break up you kind of like lose that um and so I was like okay I can deal with like losing like someone in a relationship in terms of like losing them as a best friend if the relationship ends but like I think I would have a hard time like losing a best friend that I knew as a best friend before the context if we started dating so I'm just not gonna date people that I like slash would hang out with outside of a relationship you know how there's that concept that like you should end tv shows while they're still good because you always there's so many tv shows that like were really good and then went on like one or two seasons more than they should have and you're so how i met your mother yeah so by the time they end you're like okay like i miss the good times but i understand that this has to go that's sort of my methods of relationships i just date for someone for like way too long like way long after i should have ended it um and so by the time that it actually ends i'm like okay (laughs) oh my god yeah someone going off of that someone asked me like how my thesis was going I literally described it as like 
honestly, my thesis is due next week, so it's, I'm at that point where I don't really care anymore. It's like I'm still in a relationship that I know is going to end, but I'm just waiting for the right day to break it to the person. And they were like, oh my god, I totally get that. And I'm like, the fact that you got that analogy very quickly is kind of alarming to me. Because <laughs> usually I'm just the one that has very messed up views about stuff like this. No, I, yeah. I've been in that situation when I was like 15, not recently, but I so get like, that. Like, so like two years ago. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> TLDR, we're not friends with our exes and we're not inviting them to our wedding. Well, I, like I can it. answer that. Oh, okay. Wait, sorry. I don't think I would, sl- I don't think I would send them personal invitations, but I would be interesting. It would be interesting to like kind of put up like an ad or something. Like if you had dated me in the past, like. This is blah, blah, blah. And just to see if anyone, like, freaks out and is like, oh my god, I want to marry you. I think that'd just be interesting. Also probably embarrassing and life-ruining and could possibly ruin the whole event, but... Wait, 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 Haven't you Are always, you saying... like, imagined that? Wait, no, no, no. Are you saying that if you were getting married, you would take out an ad asking any of your exes if they wanted to ruin your wedding? No, 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 no. I'm so like confused. That. No, no, no. I mean, I'm just... No, I would not invite any of my exes to my wedding is what I'm saying. But I just do think it would be interesting to see, like, if they had that option, if they would come and, like, try to stop my wedding. Just for, like, from a curiosity standpoint. I am not curious about this. (laughs) See, I feel like, I also, just, like, if any of my exes showed up and was like, I still love you, I'd be like, what the hell? (laughs) Like, leave. Well, clearly I don't, as you can see. (laughs) This seems like a great time to announce Jillian and I's engagement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is what we really wanted to get to in the in the yeah. crux of this episode. And none of our exes are invited to the end. <laughs> or our current... Uh... <laughs> or our actual current partners. <laughs> and that's going to be all from us today. If you want to find the show on Twitter, you can follow us at MixedFeelingsFM. You can find us online at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings, where there is a contact form if you want to send us an email. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thank you for talking with me, Jillian. Oh, thanks for talking to me, Quinn. Always a pleasure. I'm Quinn Rose. I'm Jillian Parker. And these were our mixed feelings.